that anybody needs to remember is that failure actually isn't really failure unless you give up before you're finished. Failure is actually just a stepping stone to the next step. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky, and in this episode, I'm going solo. This is the podcast where we like to talk about inspiration, happiness with a philosophical lens. And I have five outstanding women in business that I'm going to be interviewing. And this episode is in partnership with moderndaywife.com. I will link them in the show notes. And as I was putting this episode together, I was thinking about the philosopher Simone de Beauvoir. Simone de Beauvoir in the 1940s and 1950s, she wrote that action is project. Authentic action is when you are projecting yourself out into the world. It is a creative process. And these five women, they are all talking about the inspiration that they got into creating their business and what is the mindset behind that. How do they handle obstacles? We even talk a little bit about parenting and Gen Z. The five women are Nev Tomic from La Beauté Fatale, Robin Ackerman of Beverly Hills Aesthetic Medics, Rana Kashani Gregg, the founder of Lunescent, Jamie Jensen of Piper Blue Makeup, and Sherry Monson of CLM Creations. Be sure to check them out in the links. Let them know that good is in the details sent you. Okay, and now let's talk about the wisdom from women entrepreneurs. Nev, welcome to Good Is In The Details. Let's quickly say what your business is. Yeah, so my company is called La Beauté Fatale Cosmetics, which translates to the fatal beauty. And we're all about educating women and men about the harmful chemicals that are in makeup. And so we produce a product line that's EU compliant, no animal testing, dermatologist approved, non-comogenic, so it doesn't clog pores, no glue, no plastic, no alcohol in our products, no formaldehyde. And we're really just out there making sure that everyone knows that these are some of the common toxic ingredients that are in brands and what it can do for your body in the long run if you don't pay attention to what you're putting on your skin. Yeah. For a long time, the business model that there was this assumption that if you were ethical, it would actually cost you money. Do you find by promoting this standard that it's actually drawing customers in? I do. So, I mean, in the first two years, we sold over 1.3 million units. And that was back in when I started the company back in 2017. So, you know, at that time, there was not a lot of brands that were focusing on clean beauty. And what I found was that there was a large population of individuals who had already identified the trend of being more ethical about the harmful ingredients and chemicals that are in common categories that we use every day. And then As time went on, there was more claims that came down the pipeline, like gluten-free, organic, vegan, you know, all these other claims that started penetrating the food market and all those different products. And so we started to see an uptick in interest of brands and products where customers wanted to make sure that not only is it animal cruelty-free, but that the ingredients are leaning more towards the natural side. So we definitely are seeing that correlation between like higher price point items, but that's because of the natural ingredients costing more money. If you think about the harmful chemicals like formaldehyde, which is used during the embalming process when someone passes away, that is in a lot of products, soft drinks and makeup products and just really things that we're putting in and on our body. That's a chemical that a lot of brands use to make more money and profit because the natural ingredients cost more. Mm. What drew you to this line of business? How did you get started? Yeah. So I've always worked in beauty as a makeup artist and kind of attending New York Fashion Week and working backstage. And I used to work as a buyer for a major retailer. And I was in charge of selecting brands and selecting products that would be sold on the shelf. During that time, when I was a buyer, I was working with like L'Oreal, Maybelline, CoverGirl, Neutrogena, all those brands. And they would come in every week and they would bring products and they would Mm -hmm. pitch it to us. And they wanted that item to be sold on the shelf in the category of makeup. I would put the products on my skin. And before I took this job, I had really good skin. It was always clear. I didn't have blemishes, no dry spots, no really no pimples. Once I started putting all these products on my skin, because they would give us all free products, I would be in the meetings putting product on my skin. And within you know a couple of days, a couple of weeks, my skin began to deteriorate, like in terms of like 
blemishes, red spots, blackheads, white spots, pimples. I mean, you name it, I had it all going on. And so I started just Googling the ingredients and I was amazed that a lot of these brands were sourcing really harmful chemical-based ingredients from different countries. What it was allowing them to do was make more money on the profit margin side. And I then I kind of found this correlation between harmful chemicals and illnesses like cancer and all this other stuff that your body is prone to, hormonal imbalances, mental health, infertility issues. And so that's how my brand was born. I quit my job. I moved to LA and I launched the business. We've had a lot of people on board with the brand and a lot of people who have also started copying the brand um, because mm. it's such a large market. That's now. supposed to be the best compliment. Yeah. It? <laughs> I know. Somebody copies. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the hope is that the larger brands who currently have a large market share we want them to listen. And I guess that's where I get the most confused. Like I see some of these brands that are like multi-million, multi-billion dollar brands. I think to myself, like, why wouldn't you just improve your formulation? And why wouldn't you, if you have all of these consumers who are following you because you've been around for so many years, I just don't understand why they're not joining the movement towards clean beauty. Yeah, I know. There's, I've thought about that too, when it comes to not only issues like that, but just in environmental or healthy, like why is it that we can't brag about being ahead of the curve and that that would be more economical in the long run? And yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, I would just love to know about some of your business acumen. What is a lesson you have learned about being in business? What is some wisdom that you can pass on? Yeah. Well, first off, being a woman in business can be a little bit harder than being a man in, uh, a male in business. But one of the main things I realized was that when you're presenting, when you're doing pitches, when you're building a business, when you're building a brand, I believe that women kind of have to work a little bit harder, unfortunately. There is this stigma tied to like a beautiful woman walking in the room and demanding attention. And sometimes, you know, you can be viewed as um, these negative connotations. And so I think just being a woman in business is, I think it's a beautiful thing. But I think with that comes this path that we have to stay on. And one of the things that I've realized for myself was that there was a lot of times where I had to fight harder. I had to be louder. I had to shut down, you know, uncomfortable situations in the workplace, in corporate in running my business. Sometimes it takes a little bit more to get heard. But what I would say is that as women, like we definitely are superstars and we have what it takes to be successful. So my main message is just don't give up in the event that you're in a situation where, you know, people are belittling you or talking down to you or thinking that you're not as smart. And those are some of the things that we all deal with. How do you, with your schedule, how do you rest? How do you recharge? Well, a lot of people ask me that because I do different things. So I, you know, I am an entrepreneur, but I also have other lines of income coming in that I do other things outside of my business. And so I, I am a mom of two boys. And so a lot of people do ask me that. I guess from an outsider perspective, you would think that my schedule's maybe a bit too much. But my take on it in terms of how I find ways to rest is that right now is the time. And I think you should capitalize when you're at the peak. So my goal is to really hit the ground running and build a legacy and then later on in life scale back and focus more on resting. But for right now, I really just try to carve out like eight hours of rest and I don't budge on that. I lean on my husband and say, these are the things I need you to do so that I could take some time for myself. Because you're right, my schedule is really, really busy. There's a lot going on, but I don't regret it and I wouldn't change it right now because I think when you're on the up and when you're feeling motivated, I think you should continue following that energy. It sounds like you're doing something you really love. Like I know some of my friends are a little bit surprised when I say how much hour, how many hours it takes for me to do some of my own work when it comes to, let's say, in academia, the reading, the writing, when it comes to podcasting, behind every episode is at least 10 hours. But the thing is, but I love it. So it doesn't feel like it's bad. I'm getting, it, it's an expression of the way in which I enjoy my life. That's a really good <laughs> Do you think with your business, you're like, yeah, it's a lot, but this is how I am being honoring myself and being true to myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, 
a lot of women find some type of satisfaction from success, from empowerment, from achieving their goals. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a personal journey and each person has to identify what makes them happy. And it was funny yesterday, I was watching something on TV where someone was pursuing her dancing dream of being like a ballroom dancer and her husband was combating it. And she said, this is what I need to do to make myself happy. I'm a mom. I work really hard. But at the end of the day, I am not budging on this hobby. It's what I want. It's what makes me happy at the end of the day. My kids make me happy. My husband makes me happy. My other jobs make me happy. But this is also a piece of the puzzle that contributes to my overall mental health. And I think each of us need to honor that feeling and not budge when it comes to what we personally need at the end of the day that's going to satisfy our life mission. Thank you, Nev. (laughs) Robin Ackerman, welcome to Good is in the Details. I want to talk about a couple of things. One is, what are some lessons about being a woman in business that you could give our listeners? And the other one is that your business in particular in aesthetics has to do with beauty. So I'd love to know what is it that people are expecting? What does it mean to feel good? And what is an unrealistic thing? But let's start with being a woman in business. What is a lesson that you could pass on to our listeners? Gosh, there's so many that you learn daily almost. I would say that a lot of times I keep thinking, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, We're all in this together. We wake up in the morning saying it should be a good day. We're going to have a good day. And as things throughout the day go a little awry, you have to sort of think about who's dishing out the negativity. And I think that while it's directed at us directly, it wasn't intended for us. So there might be some extenuating circumstance. So I guess patience is the biggest thing. Take a deep breath before you react and sort of just try to assimilate what kind of result or what kind of response are you looking for based on what you're going to say to the person who's creating the anxiety. Other than that, I feel that, you know, our biggest reward is to have those patients or people overcome whatever anxiety they felt when they met you or walked in the door. Now, you in your business, um, this is something that is uh, quite prevalent, right? So it's um, aesthetic services like Botox and fillers. I have a question for you in terms of the business mindset. So I know in podcasting, there are 3 million podcasts. So people might wonder, well, why should I have one? Because there are 3 million. And the thing is that everybody has something to offer. You can still get into a business where there are a lot of people. How do you have the mindset of being in a business that where there are several other businesses similar to this service? What is your attitude, your mindset, your disposition? Well, I feel like we all somehow get into things that may be unintentional. So I got into this industry. I wanted to be a child psychologist and I loved fashion. So don't ask me how this happened, but it did. I find that I probably should have taken a lot more psychology classes. Um, And I find that unrealistic expectations. So for me, that means education. And we do spend a lot of time trying to educate and manage the expectations. Most patients come in wanting a surgical-like result for the price of a bicycle or a manicure. And I kind of have to redirect them and say it's going to take time and it might be a little bit more expensive. We are usually able to fit it within their budget. But, you know, again, it's, again, reasonable expectations and education. Mm, I see. Yeah. Well, I was also wondering when you are in a business that is quite popular, where there are a lot of people in the same industry, how do you stand out? How do you keep the disposition of this is how um, I want to work? And it sounds like your relationship with your clients is quite strong, where you're really caring about them and saying, hey, this is what we can offer and this is what's realistic. Correct. So often I'll tell a patient directly, you know, you can get the same product anywhere, but you cannot get the same service. And most of the time you are paying for the expertise of the injector. So when a patient comes in and they say, oh, I can get it down the street. A lot of times I'll say two things. One is you better go down the street because you don't have this particular nurse. You don't have us. You don't have me who, if you get an adverse reaction, 
I'm going to really, you know, be concerned and care. The other thing is a lot of times they'll tell me they have these unrealistic pricing down the street and I'll say, give me their number. I want to go buy the product from them. So I think, again, it is really about education and I've been doing this for about 20 years. So I'm not new to the game as far as education where there is lacking when, you know, actually I'm sitting in a room right now when there's a patient in the chair. I'm, I'm not new to, you know, sort of trying to assess where I think they may be coming from. And apparently I've been right for a long time because I'm still here. You know, people ask me that all the time, what sets us apart? And I do believe that, you know, while it's not me solely, I have a great team now. I've been looking for that for a long time and I'm really grateful for them. But it is because we do care. We take the time. I say no a lot. You know, I get mm-hmm. patients coming in like, I look, I'm looking at you and, you know, as we have our businesses, I'm, I'm looking at your little face and I'm thinking, okay, well, what would she need? I would try to send you away. I would say, you know, I don't know that you need that much. You know, what do you really want? What are you looking for? And I just do a lot of communicating to see what they are concerned about. What is the connection in your mind between feeling good and having some of these procedures? So I also get Botox and I feel good, but I know that it's not my whole world. I also feel really good when I read an excellent book or I have a good conversation on the podcast. In your experience, what is the correlation between some of these procedures and feeling good? Well, it feels like I can only sort of speak for myself because I have felt it many times. When I'm educated and I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm what I'm doing is good for me or it will make me feel good, I feel empowered. And I feel that empowerment for women or anyone is really the key. And they say knowledge is power. So I feel that perhaps in the education process to the patient, all of a sudden they feel good about what they're doing. And, you know, it's difficult because sure, when we look good on the outside, if we're really feeling something on the inside, no, no amount of anything is going to really solve it. Mm-hmm. But will it help or put your little toe in the water to make you feel just a little bit better so you can get to the next step? And for me, I think that's also what it's about. If somebody is having an issue and they're coming in because they want to get shot up because their boyfriend broke up with them or they just want to do something, we'll do something minimal if you make us. But if it's something that's not going to help or you're not going to see a difference, I'll step in and start talking and maybe it'll be a therapy session. And fortunately <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't charge for that. But you know, a lot of times the nurse will know when to step out if we know that Botox or filler is just not going to take the place of what they really need. I mean, there's something I remember when everything was shut down, you know, it was very easy to like not get dressed. And a lot of people went through this depression. And one of the ways to get out of it was to take a shower, wash your face, put on a little bit of makeup. So there is some sort of a correlation between taking the steps to be presentable and then it'll change your mindset. Like I know when I don't feel like going to the gym, I just put the shoes on and that'll get me out the doors. Like go ahead and take the steps, be the part. Right. So often I feel that, you know, I do that a lot with diet and exercise. Sometimes you do hate to do it, but once you do it and after you're done, you're like, okay, there's a sense of accomplishment. And I do believe that it's like a yin and a yang. When you look happy and you smile, it is infectious and it is contagious. Let When you're crying and you're really depressed, you can bring the whole world down. So the opposite would be true. And you know, I always think about, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Don't, it's not, it doesn't have any blood in it. If somebody really, you know, misguided you or, you know, hurt your feelings, then maybe there was a reason it really wasn't supposed to be directed at you. And it was a misunderstanding or misinterpretation. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about text and email, and, you know, I know I begged you to get in contact with me before we started this, because I just, I like that communication. And I don't believe that anything will take the place of this face-to-face, more human interaction. And sometimes I worry about AI and the young kids. And I told my graduating son from law school, you know, there's going to be no replacement for the human touch. And, you know, Zoom is really good, but still meeting in person face to face is maybe old fashioned, but I think there's nothing like it. Absolutely. I would imagine even with your business, there's a difference between the website and when somebody comes in and actually has a conversation that the conversation is far more enlightening than anything. And it's the same thing with, I've told my students that meeting me in person for a conversation or getting into the habit of that with all of your professors goes so much further than an email. I'm not down on email as a communication, but there is something about that in person. Well, drawing from another personal experience, my son said, 
oh, I was just going to write the thank you notes, you know, and just send them out via email because that is the way I did the little invitations to the graduation. And I said, honey, there's nothing like a handwritten note. And, you know, throughout their lives, both my children have found that very effective and they just carry it forward because I think people appreciate that. Well, I know people appreciate it. Robin, I was thinking about this. I think that Gen X might be the last generation to really appreciate a handwritten note. Well, some of them probably don't even know how to write the ones that What what is this pencil? <laughs> well, we well, talk about the the dial phones, you know. I mean, a yeah. lot of kids don't know what that motion means. And, <laughs> and well, I, and I also believe that it's up. Well, you know, you're much younger than I am, so you know, it's up to us. It's up to you all to as you learn some of these things that happened in our past. They're really important, and I think that you know, nostalgia is what sort of links us together and brings us to where we are. And sometimes just because something is new or more efficient, it doesn't mean that it's better. And, you know, the long way is sometimes the better way because it's the journey, I believe. It's not the end result. So, yeah. Robin, thank you so much. This was lovely because, you know, we're talking, I want to talk about business, but really the underscoring thing is the human connection, that that's partly what makes it successful. Absolutely. Really quick, we're going to link your business in the show notes, but could you go ahead and tell us your Instagram and the name of your business? Sure. The name of the business is Beverly Hills Aesthetic Medics, and it's B-H-A-M, BAM. The H is silent. And um, on Instagram, it's at B-H-A-M 90210. Robin, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Nice speaking to you. (laughs) Let's start with that. Jamie Jensen, welcome to Good is in the Details. Let's hear about how you got started in your business. So it actually started years ago. I was diagnosed with all types of crazy things. One of them was stage four CKD. And that's one thing that's not, it's really hard to heal from that if you can at that stage. And one of the things I did fully heal from it, but one of the things that I found was Mm -hmm. toxins. Toxins are just so prevalent in our world that we live in. I could not find makeup that was clean. Even if it was natural, organic, it truly wasn't clean. And then if there was something that happened to be like decently clean, it just did not work. That's when I went on my journey to make makeup that was actually clean, that I felt good about using so that I could share it with others. So that's how I started. And then what kind of a mindset does it take to break into something new to discover? What is a mindset that you could share that you think is necessary for embarking on your own business that other people can learn from? One thing I think that is really incredible that anybody needs to remember is that failure actually isn't really failure unless you give up before you're finished. Mm. Failure is actually just a stepping stone to the next step. Honestly, it took me two years to formulate my makeup because I was just doing trials after trials and I failed so much and it was so hard. And yet I had that little impression that just keep going, just keep going. There's something inside you that just tells you to keep going when you know you're supposed to do something. And that's what matters is that you just get back up and you keep going, even when it's hard, even when you want to quit. And so I think every person who's in entrepreneurship or who's a mom or who in any part of their life, if you just get back up and keep going, even when the going gets really tough, that is what will really get you through. And what has been the response from the people who use your makeup, who buy your makeup? Because I think sometimes people are concerned that if they're carving out, let's see, things that are more ethical or good or clean, that that's going to cost more money. And does the customer really care? But studies have shown that that's actually the marketing draw is that something is clean. So what is it? What have you found with the response from the people who use your makeup? So I I have so many reviews now where people are just so thankful to have something that is clean and that works Mm -hmm. and that they can finally like use something that they feel like is comparable to what they used to use that was toxic. And so they are really, really happy and excited. I'm loving it because I get messages all the time like this has really just made me feel so much better that I can get myself up and get myself ready and not have to have that subconscious thought in the background, like I'm doing something to my body that's it's not liking. I know in the podcasting industry, and this is definitely true of makeup, that there are a lot of other people in the field. 
So how do you have the mindset of continuing in a field that has a lot of popularity and a lot of people in it? You have to take like healthy competition obviously is amazing, right? We all yeah. need that, but you have to kind of take yourself out of the competition and put yourself in a place of why am I doing this? Is this really something that I want to be doing? Because it comes from a place of heart-centered determination. Like, yes, competition is good, but to a point. Yeah. I know that I've learned a lot about myself through work, through career, through choices. What is something that you've learned about yourself over the years in this process? You know, honestly, that it's never too late to start something, but you're never going to start unless you decide to do it. And so that's something that I have taken and it's not one day. It's if I want to do that, you need to start now. I've learned that it's just something that's so amazing that I can do. And you just put one foot in front of the other until you get going on it. What's the amazing part? So when you sit back and you're experiencing, we talk about joy and happiness on this podcast a lot. How do you find happiness and joy through your work? What makes you smile? Honestly, it's the people and the relationship. For me, relationships are big. And building a following that has, you know, there's always a connection there. And then having them come back and say, this has really blessed my life. That is what brings me joy is that I've brought other people something that they enjoy too. And you have, if let's say if somebody were to try, what is like a staple that they should try of yours? Well, definitely the pre-built palettes. You can customize them to any colors, any person, but the pre-built palettes are just super easy and it makes it so that you can put on makeup in less than five minutes and look like you actually did your makeup in, you know, the usual time of like doing nice makeup for like 30 minutes. That's really really cool because, yeah, I love that because women are busy and they don't mm-hmm. have the time to invest oodles of time to <laughs> for their face. So I think it's really cool that I've noticed that makeup in the beauty industry is keeping up with the reality that a woman's life is multitasking and putting on several different hats. Like we we're saying, like just this morning, I'm a mom. I was editing a podcast, answering emails for a professor. We're doing this podcast. I've worn four or five different hats already this morning, and it's not even noon. So I think that that's really cool that the makeup industry is keeping up with that reality for women. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, I feel like, you know, we put out what we need and then what we are needing, it comes back to us. And so we'll find it somewhere at some point. And it's amazing to have that connection and that vibration to bring those things to you. What kind of support do you have? Because I think a lot of times, you know, we're very excited about our accomplishments, but then when we reflect, we're like, wow, we have awesome friends, family, community. How important is that support network for you? And who is your support network? I love, obviously, my family and my friends, my family and friends, but I really, really love, honestly, my employees. They're so supportive. They see the mission of it and they see the nitty gritty details and what's happening behind the scenes. And they're like, this is cool. You need to keep doing this. And so it's, it's awesome to have people that see the behind the scenes and what's going on and have them really supporting and saying, just keep going. You can do this. This is so cool. I love it. So what is your Instagram for business? It is Piper Blue underscore organic makeup. Okay. All right, everybody check it out. Thank you so much, Jamie Jensen. And I will see you at the Modern Day Wife event on the 30th. All right. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to see you. Rana, welcome to Good is in the Details. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. We are going to be talking about women and wisdom and being successful. You have a background in law. What is some advice that you would give to women who are trying to find their voice, find their business, find their way in life? What is maybe a lesson from you to give to our listeners? Well, one of the things that I think holds a lot of women, well, everyone, not only women, we, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the, that next step. Maybe we have a passion, maybe something that we wanted to do our, all our lives, you know, but it's just, what will that look like? Will that be detrimental to my status quo right now? Will that be something that, and that is a fear that I think holds a lot of people back from pursuing what 
they really want to do in life. My advice is it is very important to not just be, you know, acting on a whim, you know, oh, I want to do this. or I want to, I'm going to like, you know, I have this well-paying secure job and I'm just going to leave and I'm going to act on a whim. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if you have a life long passion and it's something that you really think that will you need to do in order to be the person that you want to be in life you need to kind of like think about that as the years go by you know when they say manifesting mm -hmm. manifesting it starts with that first thought and then the first thought maybe develops into maybe let me talk to some people who are experts in this field, right? That's the next step. Then you maybe jot some stuff down. Maybe you then start doing some planning. This could be a multi-year process, but that multi-year process makes sure that when you take that scary next step, you are set up right for that. So I kind of get concerned when I see cliches, oh, do what you're passionate about, do this, or do. there is a lot of, thought and planning that goes into that. Yes, by all means, do that because that's important for our growth as human beings and for us to be happy with who we are at the end of the day, but also be smart about it, mm -hmm. right? Do all the research and the planning and the most important thing, get to know the right players in the field. Get to know who can mentor you. Get to know who you can talk to when you have questions, when you have problems, you know, those kind of things to me are really important. Absolutely. And I know, I remember when I was first hearing about manifesting and it seemed so popular and it seemed a little bit new agey and I'm in philosophy yes. <laughs> and I like logic, but I realized, wait a minute, this isn't just something. When you write down what it is that you want and you start to pay attention to that, then that is what comes more into your life is what you were paying attention to. Exactly. Well, there are, you're in law, there are a growing number of women who are going into law. I think there are more women in law school now than men. I'm just wondering, do you have any thoughts about that? What is the draw for women to go into law or why are those numbers shifting? I think this is actually the natural equilibrium because I think law is a very natural fit for women. We are very good with our words. We're good at communicating. So, so the reason there wasn't more women than men was just, the, I don't want to say patriarchy, but it was just the way the education system and everything was set up that more women were not being given the opportunities to pursue you know, careers in law. I think law is a very natural fit for women. And it is something that my daughter, she just graduated. She's, she just turned 18. And all our lives, you know, my husband is an attorney. I'm an attorney. He's a litigator. We told her law is very difficult. Law is a hard life. You know, it is very fulfilling, but it is, you know, so we put her in all sorts of STEM. She's a STEM kid. You know, she's very good at math. She's very good at uh, sciences. But what she ended up wanting to do is law. Oh, really? Where is she going to go? <laughs> so she is going to, she, she, she got accepted into George Washington. She's going to be in D.C. She, she has spent her entire career in high school doing speech and debate. She just came back from the nationals in Arizona. She got qualified for the national speech and debate competition in Arizona. So, you know, that became her love yeah. that she found that community within high school so law and and I know her generation is very very um well she's a gen z i guess <laughs> they are very involved truly they see the changes that are happening to our way of life to the uh, environment to the planet everything seems to be in flux mm -hmm. i mean everything always when you talk to generations that's how they feel but I feel for this generation is especially acute. Law offers and their speech and debate program at high school has been so popular because what I think is these kids understand they need to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to advocate, you need to be able to explain your position in a way that you're not getting angry. You're not you're using logic. You're using evidence. 
and you can, you know, the more you're prepared for that, the more you can bring about those kind of changes. And law is a natural fit. Yeah. And I feel that's why there is more women now, you know? Than- yeah. There's, I have um, a critical thinking class and we have to go over the, we go over the structure of arguments. That's the entire semester. And we're talking about fallacies. And it is extraordinary to me, but the, the students do see the fallacies. But I say, this is what makes media fun are like ad hominem attacks, straw man, red herrings, all these types of fallacies. And so all those yeah, things we study in law school. It's good, it's good television, but it's not logical. So one of the things that they have to do is they have to find a meme with a fallacy and explain what the fallacy is. And it's always hilarious, but you're right. Gen Z, they, I think they feel really empowered. I don't know why older generations have had just not the best view of them. And I think that they're so wrong. They just think differently because they have more social media, but that social media has made them understand the power of their voice in a way that I never would have. Very true. Very true. It's a very, very different landscape that they're growing up in and then on top of that at the pandemic i mean think about it you know this whole social change with the social media and everything which they grew up with and on top of that they had this huge period i mean when you talk about someone who's 16 and two years or three years of their lives was spent you know, during the pandemic, that is a huge chunk of, for us, it's just the snippet, right? Yeah. <laughs> for them, it's a huge part of their lives. So it, it is, I, I really think it's transformative. I know that a lot of people see the negative, but I think that there is a silver lining because exactly as what you talk, and I know probably as a professor, your day-to-day, you're getting, you know, you're engaging with that generation mm-hmm. and see how they are reacting. They are, they're much more thoughtful, as you said, when that people give them credit. Yeah, I know they are in their phone and in social media and stuff like that, but they're also very aware of what's happening. You know, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, this is my third act. I'm, I'm going to turn 60 in like five months, you know? So, um, but one of the things as women is we're also, ageism is a huge, huge problem that we have. If you're young, I remember when I was young, I, I looked very young. So I was in my like 18, they would think I was 14 or even 12. So I was so upset that I was getting undermined. I was not being seen as an adult. Even when I was a young attorney, I was, you know, complaining to my friends that I can grow a beard. If I could grow a beard, I would look much more distinguished. Mm -hmm. I would look. And so women not only have everything else, but the ageism. Yeah. Not only ageism is not just young. I mean, I'm I'm just old. When you're younger, when you're a middle, I mean, all of those come into play because it's a way for people to dismiss you your accomplishments, what you know, everything just based on your age. And that makes it that much more difficult to try to then say, no, look at me as a human being with my accomplishments. No, amen. This is, you know, it's something that I know as a professor, there is just this little layer of a hurdle that when I walk into a classroom that I have to, and I'm also five, three and I'm, I'm, I'm a petite woman. And you're beautiful and you you. look young. I don't care how long (laughs) you are, uh, how uh, how old you are. You know, that's what it's the first impression that women need to overcome. This is the bright side to it because at first it felt a little bit frustrating feeling like I have to convince of my authority. I can't just walk in there like, like a man can can walk in and he's got authority just based on that. So I've even been told you don't look like a professor, but the thing is being a professor has nothing to do with appearance. It has to do same thing with law. I, what, what do prof- well, but as I said, the beard, the beard. Really yeah, I know I'm like, <laughs> I need some sweater vests and some shoulder pads and then maybe I can do it, but on a pipe, but I guess, you know, this is one of the advantages. If you can look at a bright side of it, that when women are at a level of success, it is because they have been able to overcome that hurdle. That extra hurdle has added in an extra layer of resilience and grit because they have to have it in order to get there. That is 
one of the things I think every professional woman has been through a moment where she has been looked at and judged, underestimated, and still shining and doing really well. So we can make it part of our success. And you said a moment uh, for most of all us are moments, right? Many, many moments. But I really am very, very, again, to talk about Gen Z, you know, they are doing this huge change in how people interact with each other. I think it's a sea change. It's a complete, and I feel maybe, you know how everything in culture is a spectrum Mm -hmm. and the pendulum swings from one end of the spectrum to the other end. And somehow we settle in the middle, right? Somehow for a while we go to one end and that's very extreme. A lot of people don't feel like they're included. A lot of people, and then it, swings to the opposite direction and then that makes a lot of other people uncomfortable and every some people feel excluded and somehow as a society we find ourselves in this gray middle area where most people feel comfortable Mm -hmm. right and i feel like we are in one of those situations where we're going back and forth and i'm really hopeful that this generation can find its footing and i think it's going to be a step forward yeah i am very very positive about it i know there is a lot of hurt there is a lot of my generation feels like oh my gosh too much this is this is too extreme but i know that when that is happening is because it's laying the groundwork for somewhere in the middle and we will find ourselves there hopefully very soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers to Gen Z. Thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the 30th. It was great to meet you. Thank you. And congratulations Thank to your you daughter so going into getting a law school. That must be so, that's so exciting. Thank congratulations. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's wonderful meeting you. Looking forward to seeing you at the event and meeting you in person. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Sherry, welcome to Good is in the Details. I would love to know a little bit about your business, and then I want to learn about how it is that you have created a success with your business. What is something that is really valuable to you that you think other women should know about when they're entering business? So first, what is your business? My name is Sherry Munson, and I am the founder of CLM Creations. And CLM Creations is a name I created just so that I had a company name, but right now the product we are selling is called the CLM Volumizer. And it is a hairstyling tool that I developed probably about started developing about 15 years ago when I needed to find a better way to do my hair on vacation because I couldn't take my blow dryer with me with my, with the, um, the diffuser that I like to use and it would take up like half the suitcase. So that was probably not a good plan. So I started trying to figure out how to put a diffuser on a blow dryer that I brought, you know, any blow dryer and that didn't work. So then I thought, what about putting a diffuser on the handle of a brush? And I developed, that was the beginning of the CLM Volumizer. It took me a few years before I actually seriously considered getting a patent. I applied for my patent in 2019, got it in 2020. That was the beginning of the journey that I never thought I would ever take in my entire life. So what was the response like? That's so interesting. You have you have this idea, women on the go, women traveling, making things easier for them. When I started applying for my patent, I also had my nephew make me some prototypes with his 3D printer. So I handed out prototypes to lots of different people, and I got a lot of really good positive responses. And so that made me think, well, let's try licensing it to another company. So that was my first plan was just to license it because I honestly never planned on owning a business and running a business in the past. I mean, that just wasn't going to be my thing to do in my later 50s. So what I did, though, is I contacted a licensing agent who would go out there and get about 20 different companies and present my product to them. Unfortunately, we signed the contract right before COVID. Mm. So it was in February of 2020. In fact, I was on vacation when I signed the contract. It was kind of funny because I get back and then a month later, we have Uh, COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. And so the licensing agent said she's still doing presentations virtually and that she thought she could still represent my product in a good way. We went forward, but about six months later, 
she contacted me and just said, you know what? People are changing the way they're doing licensing. I don't want you to be paying for something that you're not getting the full benefit of. So we're going to let you out of your contract early. You just have to abide by the 24-month no contact rule. Something else that happened in 2020 that was kind of a bit of a surprise for me, I got diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. in June of 2020. Mm -hmm. Things in my life changed a bit after having my surgery and, you know, being clean and, and preparing for radiation. I started thinking about, well, what do I do now with my product? I need to find a way to retire from my job because I don't want to damage my health any more than I already had. I was trying to figure out what to do next with the product. And a friend of mine suggested maybe selling on Amazon. And I said, can I do that? And he said, yeah, people sell on Amazon all the time. As you can see, I was a little bit uh, novice on how to handle a a business and and actually create a product. So it was kind kind of a new thing for me. Then I started looking for a manufacturer. Do you want to continue? To, I mean, I can continue my story or... I, I love this story. I, okay. I, I love okay. this story. I, I'm, I'm engrossed. You have okay. got... Well, <laughs> one of the things that I think is really interesting is that, or inspiring, I should say, not just interesting, is that the importance of resilience and how a lot of women are successful in business because they are carving out their own space and their own way. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, please continue. This is amazing. All right. So you mentioned something about obstacles in your questioning. So here was my first obstacle, finding a manufacturer, because I knew nothing about manufacturing. I found a website that I could, you know, help design my product on. I continued to take ideas from people that were using my prototypes and try to create a design. At one point, we got a design that we wanted to do by adding an attachment to the diffuser so that it would look more like a diffuser and it would also hold the heat in better for people that wanted to diffuse curls. We found out, though, that the manufacturer that I was working with online can't do that part of the product. So then I was starting to go all over online to try to find people that might be interested in giving me a quote because I needed to get a tool. I needed to get a mold created. They call it tooling the mold so that I could do injection molding. So I tried to find somebody online. I just quickly discovered that people were not giving me prices that I really could live with. I also belonged to a Facebook group for women inventors. Women Inventors Club, Facebook. What that group was, was a bunch of women inventors in different stages, and we could post questions and we'd all help each other. And like you said, with women, we're all resilient. We all find ways to do things. We also are not as competitive as men. So women are more than happy to freely give advice, I found, because I've always felt that way myself, but I never realized that it was more of a woman's women's trait than not. <laughs> I, so I placed my question on on the Women Inventors Network group, and I got uh, back a couple of people that had been using a manufacturer's representative. He actually was also the board president for the United Inventors Association. So he was also very in tune with inventors and wanted inventors to succeed. So I contacted him right away, and within few days, I had a quote that I could live with. Uh, we were going to we manufacturing, see, we are manufacturing in South Korea. I wanted to stay in the USA, but unfortunately, the cost to make a tool here is very expensive. It took about a full six months from the point where I signed the contract to the point where we got the product. It took a couple months just for the product to get to me because it was right during the beginning of the supply chain issue, because it was right in the fall of 2021. So I had all kinds of little things, you know, jumping in at me and saying, well, maybe this uh, is going to take longer than you thought. When I did get the product, I jumped on Amazon. First month or two, I got some pretty decent sales. A lot of people that I knew that were also excited about the product because I had been talking about it for over a year at this point. But then things kind of dried up a little. I started thinking, well, maybe Amazon isn't the place for me. Maybe I need to start looking at social media. About the same time, I got invited to do a pitch, like a Shark Tank-like pitch for a local chamber here in Minnesota. And one of the judges was a woman who runs a company 
here in Burnsville, Minnesota. I really connected with her and she connected with me. And so I started talking to her about how can you help me with the social media, social influencer type of marketing, because that's what I need. And we talked about that during the pitch also that I needed influencer marketing for my product. About the same time, then we started talking, this other company and me started talking and started moving forward. Now, one other thing I do want to throw in here, just because it's kind of in the, the hierarchy of it all. After I went through radiation, I actually noticed about six months later that my hair was starting to come out a lot faster than it usually did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like chemo because I didn't have to go through chemo. So I kept my hair, but I was still pulling out a lot of hair and I was seeing it in the shower and I never saw, saw that before. And I was scared because it's like, okay, I know I'm getting older. It's not going to come back. So what I did is I tried just about everything I could think of, including just cutting out the tines between a a comb, the little fingers between combs to make them a wider comb. Mm -hmm. And I still couldn't find anything that worked to keep my hair from being pulled out. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, what about my brush? Because at this point, I was still using my prototype and I discovered that it did not pull out the hair, but yet it still detangled my hair. So this was from detangling it when it was wet. So I got maybe two strands, three strands on the brush that came out. And I thought to myself, okay, there's another market I can go after once we get going. Yeah. That was kind of fun to be able to discover that I might even be able to help other women who have got breast cancer that are dealing with these kinds of issues. This is amazing. This is amazing. So you were in sales and you're transitioning to entrepreneur, inventor, Mm -hmm. and social Mm -hmm. media expert. All over the age of 40, (laughs) cancer survivor. Um, Well, this is incredible. Make it the age of, over the age of 50. I actually turned 60 this year. Over the age of 50. My goodness. (laughs) You, would you, I mean, when you think about talking to your younger self, could you have ever envisioned this? No. What I, I mentioned to you earlier, this was something I never planned on in my entire life. What do you think is, you know, because life throws us curveballs, what do you think Mm -hmm. is an important character trait for somebody to have in order to sift through those curveballs. Okay, so my character traits that I rely on are my determination, my open-mindedness, and my patience. Mm-hmm. My goodness, this is this is incredible. What is your Instagram handle for our listeners? And I'll also link it in the show notes. It's at CLM Creations LLC. Okay. It's the same for Facebook. There is one other thing mm-hmm. I want to toss in. I have a quote that I found a couple of years ago. It was actually put up on the Women Inventors Network group. And the quote is from Erin Hansen. It's, what if I fail? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? I love it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been very nice chatting with you. Good is in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dalsky and Rudy Salo. We want to thank our partnership with Modern Day Wife and also our sponsor, avonmoreinc.com. Remember to check that out in the show notes. Also check out newsly.me and use offer code THEDETAILS to get one month free premium subscription. If you're enjoying the show and you want extra content, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash good is in the details. We've also got a book club there we'd love for you to check out. For as little as $2 a month, you can get the extra content and get a shout out on the pod. We're also on Instagram, good is in the details pod. And if you have any questions or if you'd like to partner with us, good is in the details pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, until next time. Bye.